We're going to be diving into our series this morning. We are actually on week five of our series called Surprise the World. And so I'm glad that you guys were able to join us today to talk about that. Um, this series has really been about what does it look like for us to create habits um, that sort of help us, Im- uh, help us embody and live out this idea of what it would look like to surprise the world with the good news of Jesus. See, a lot of times... Um, A lot of times we think uh, that the good news of Jesus is just that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, but it's actually so much greater than that. Uh, The good news of Jesus is that the world is not going to hell in a handbasket. That is actually the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that because of Jesus, the world, the entire world is getting remade and recreated and restored so that the kingdom of heaven is coming here to earth, and Jesus began that whole journey of the kingdom of heaven coming here to earth and when he comes back he'll bring it in all of its fullness and so we've been talking about in this thing like what does it look like for us to in in, uh, have these habits that we live out in our lives that sort of announce and proclaim that the good news is here that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth that one day earth will become this place of unity and beauty and restoration and peace and love and compassion that one day all of these pieces the way the world once was will be how the world is once again and so uh, we've been talking about that and we've kind of narrowed all of the different habits that you could have to do that into five and we've called it our rule of life and there's an acronym it's bells uh, and we've so far talked about blessed we've talked about this idea of what does it look like to bless people on a weekly basis so three people one person inside the church, one person outside of the church, one person you get to the third person, you get to pick kind of where you want to bless them from. Um, Eat, uh, eating with people. Jesus came and he sort of reconciled the world by eating and drinking with people. And so we're called to do the same. One person inside the church, one person outside the church, and then then eaters pick. You get to eat with whoever you want to. Um, And then uh, we've also talked about listen so far. What does it look like to spend a week, a period during the week to listen to the Holy Spirit, to get off the merry-go-round track of trying to run like crazy, making everything happen, but instead to abide in Jesus, to pull into the center and allow him to speak to us, to guide us, to, to sort of set, recalibrate us so that we are getting all of our energy and our lifeblood and our fuel from our Heavenly Father. Um, And so we've sort of been talking about this. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to point out is, like, these five habits are not about bringing the kingdom. We don't do these things because they bring the kingdom. The kingdom has already been brought. We do these five habits because it announces and proclaims that the kingdom has already been brought. It's sort of like we are giving people a movie trailer of the feature presentation, of the, of the extended presentation that is going to be coming. It's kind of like we give them this little taste or this little appetizer. So when we bless somebody, it's just this foretaste. It's the movie trailer of the great big way that God is bringing this mountain of blessing on the whole world. When we eat with somebody, it's this way of giving them a movie trailer of like, hey, Jesus came to reconcile all people so everyone gets to eat together. So when we eat with people who are different from us, whether politically or socioeconomically, or nationally or whatever sort of category you want to pick it's this it's this foretaste it's this movie trailer of this is the kingdom that is coming 
And so we have this opportunity to do this. Um, and so if you've missed any of our messages so far, any one, uh, of the things that we've talked about where we've talked about blessing and eating and listening, or even the overview of what the mission of God is, I want to invite you to catch up. I want to invite you to listen to them because this isn't just a one-off thing that we're going to talk about for a couple weeks and then it's going to be done. This is actually going to set sort of the agenda and premise of what we're doing for all of 2020 and then beyond that. And so it's really important for you to have that caught up. We've made it really easy for you to do that, you can go online, you can watch the videos so you can see me in all of my glory and splendor, um, or you can subscribe to our podcast, and that's also an option. I know a lot of people who commute or uh, work out may listen to podcasts, and you could like have my beautiful, malevolous, that word, in your ear as you drive to and from work. Um, but also, I hope that it's an opportunity for you to hear the word of God and be inspired and encouraged as we live this thing out together. So you can check those out. Now today, we're going to tackle the second L, the L that stands for learn. And we're really, the habit that we're trying to um, sort of embed into our every weekly practice is to spend one period during the week learning about Jesus. And the hope is that when you learn about Jesus, you actually will begin to reflect him onto your life, that you'll begin to look like him, act like him, speak like him a little bit more. Now, this morning, what we're going to start with is you're going to do uh, something that is really, really easy. Okay, so you are going to turn to your neighbor and you're going to tell them about your best friend. Make sure that everyone around you has a neighbor. So like sometimes what happens is like there's three people in a row and two people pair up and the third one's just like, I don't have a neighbor. So look around. You can be conscientious of the people around you. You're going to talk to them about your best friend, the person that you love hanging out with. Uh, if you have multiple best friends, pick one. You're going to tell them about why they're your best friend, uh, a story that you love to tell about your best friend. Whatever you want, just tell them who your best friend is. Are you ready? Okay, go.
I'm going to give you a chance to do something like this one more time. But this time, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Again, you did a really good job like trying to include everybody, so keep up with that. Um, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them about Jesus. Okay, ready, set, go. Now, I imagine that talking about Jesus was a little bit harder than talking about your best friend. And I didn't mean this to be a trap. I simply wanted to use this as sort of an illustration. I had one person look at me from the room and was just like, ugh, like, ugh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, and, and here's the question that I want us to ask ourselves. Why is it? That we can often speak about our best friends with enthusiasm and energy, with reverence and awe and humor and just be like, oh my gosh, this person's ridiculous. I love them. They're so great. But when it comes to Jesus, we're often a little bit tongue-tied. We don't quite know what to say or how to say it or how to describe it. And here's the deal. Like, I don't think the problem is that we don't love Jesus. I think we do love Jesus. I think that the problem is, is that we haven't spent that much time with Jesus. And so we really just don't know him as well. We don't know what he would do in certain situations. We don't know the types of things that he would say or how he would react to different things. And most of us probably have like a passable knowledge of Jesus. We've got like the greatest hits running in our mind, but we like really don't know like what would he really do in all of the different situations. We don't know him enough to speak about him in the ways that we do our best friend or the ways that we would talk about our spouse or our kids or a coworker that we've worked with for years. Um, <clears throat> we really only know him well enough. Maybe your conversation was like presenting doctrinal, doctrinal beliefs or faith statements. Like we say things like, oh, he's the son of God. He died for our sins. He's, he's our savior. He's good. Can you imagine for a second if we talked about our best friends that way? Oh, well, she's uh, the daughter of uh, Mary and Robert, and uh, she's good. I mean, she's real good. And uh, she's an architect. And uh, like, like, right? Like, all of a sudden, you're like, you don't really know this person. You don't know who you're actually talking about. She helped me move once. Like, that was good. Right? And and, and that's really what happens. The problem is, is that if we're really going to look like Jesus, if we really want to act like Jesus, if we really want to talk like him, if we really want to be Christians, which literally means little Christs, we need to know Jesus. 
We need to know what he would do. We need to know what he would say in the here and now. We need to know what he did so well that we know what he would do today. And then we can model it. Now, in order to do that, we need to know a lot about him. And so we need to marinate ourselves in him. We, we need to... Uh, Super Bowl. Is anybody, like, marinating meat right now? Like, is that happening for anyone? No, it's because, like, none of our teams are actually in the Super Bowl, right? If they were, though, I bet half of you would have, like, chicken in a Ziploc bag in your fridge marinating right now so it's tasty and delicious. Or ribs. I love ribs, right? So the longer the meat sits in that little tasty Ziploc bag, the better it is, the more it infuses with those flavors. And that is what we're called to do. That when we marinate ourselves in Jesus, we marinate in the truth of who he is, in his sayings, in his stories, in his quotes, we become flavored with Jesus. We become more and more like him to the point that all of a sudden we start dropping Jesus' sayings into our everyday conversation. We start dropping stories about Jesus into our everyday and regular uh, conversations. We we start acting like him. Now, some of you may think, well, isn't that a little weird to all of a sudden be like, you know what my my friend Jesus says? Like, he says whatever. Well, you know, there was once a story about a man, right? That some of us are like, that's weird. That's so weird. But think about it for a second. When you have everyday conversations with people, chances are, You're talking with somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, that reminds me of something my husband did the other day. It was so ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. Or like, hey, let me tell you, like my kid did something like that. And then they come back with something that they know about somebody that that person did, right? Conversation is filled with sharing stories about people that we love and people that have influenced us. And it's not always people that are alive, Right? Sometimes we quote people that have passed on long ago. We say, well, you know what Martin Luther King Jr. said? You know what he did? He did this. You, you know what this person said? You know what that person said? Like we do this all the time, and yet when it comes to Jesus, we're like, okay, but that's weird. It's not. It's not weird. It's not weird because if it's somebody that you really admire, if it's somebody that you believed changed the face of this whole world, why would we not tell stories about this person? Why would we not quote them? Why would we not emulate who it is that they are and make sure people know, hey, I'm practicing to be like Jesus. I'm practicing to become more like my Savior, more like the one who redeemed and restored and is rescuing the whole world. And when we marinate ourselves in Jesus, all of a sudden, his quotes and his stories begin to drip from our conversation. How he behaves begins to leak from our pores, and we just become that. Now, if it was 2,000 years ago, uh, doing that would mean that we would probably all leave our houses, we'd get on a plane, and we'd go over to the Middle East, and we'd follow Jesus around. Except there weren't planes 2,000 years ago, but you understand my point, right? We would go and we would follow him. We would go where he went to all of the little villages. We would listen to his teachings. We would watch in amazement as he healed people. We would ask him questions to understand why it is that he has done what it is that he is choosing to do. 
The cool thing is, though, is that we actually have something that's even more accessible than a man who lived 2,000 years ago in a different continent. We have scripture. We have this life-giving force of scripture. We have these pages that are dripping with stories and phrases and the character of Jesus, oftentimes sitting in our house or sitting on our nightstand or sitting in our living room or office completely untouched. But it's dripping with the character and the person of Jesus, the whole thing. Now, you might be thinking, like, well, wait a second. It's not the whole thing. Like, it's the, it's the four Gospels. It's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, those are the ones that talk about Jesus. And, and, and I understand how you got there, but here's what I want to challenge you with. That perhaps Jesus, the man wrapped in flesh that walked here on earth, is represented in those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, John, the author of one of those Gospels, he tells us that the member of the Trinitarian Godhead who was sent forth to take on flesh, who is called the Word, was not just present in those four Gospels or just the New Testament. We're actually told at the beginning of the Gospel of John this, that in the beginning was the Word, was Jesus that the word Jesus was with God and the word Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus wasn't like this plan B that came up during the Roman times where God was like, shoot, this is real bad. I don't know what to do. Jesus wasn't just conjured up in a moment and was like, okay, that's what I'll do. No, that Jesus was a part of the Godhead from the very beginning. That at the creation of the world, Jesus is right there with the creator God and the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, and they're in it together from the beginning. And so when we read scripture, whether it's Genesis or Exodus or Samuel or Psalms or or, uh, Malachi or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or anything in the New Testament, Jesus is present and we can learn about who he is. We can learn about his character. We can understand what's going on. Now, for some of you, um, you're like, okay, but I've tried to read the Bible before. It didn't go so well. I totally understand. A lot of us don't know how to read the Bible, and so we're, we're, we're distant, we distance ourselves from engaging with this scripture. We distance ourselves from learning about Christ and who he is. Some of you think like it might as well be like Greek. It might as well be Beowulf. It might as well be Shakespeare. I don't get it. And so... I want to give you a couple tips about how to engage with scripture, to make it something that you can actually use in order to learn about Jesus, that you can actually understand what is going on. And so I want to give you one key lens, and I want to give you two resources that are going to help in this process. The first, the key lens, is when you read scripture, look for Jesus, Now, this may be like, that doesn't blow my mind at all, and I totally get it. But here's what typically happens when we read scripture. We open the Bible, and we don't look for Jesus. We look for ourselves. We open the Bible, and we treat it as a yearbook. 
like looking for pictures and images of ourselves. Did you ever get that yearbook at the end of the year and you're like, let's count how many pictures? One, two, three, four, I'm 17 times I'm in there, so, right? Uh, that's how we oftentimes treat scripture. We look for ourselves in scripture. And, and here's the thing, you're not very exciting and you don't have a lot to teach you. And so don't look for you in scripture. Instead, we should be looking for Jesus. We should, that changes everything. So we're gonna practice this for just a second. I want you to think about the story of David and Goliath, which again, doesn't actually have Jesus in, so it's perfect for the illustration that I'm picking. Now, many of us learned this story as a little kid. It's about this little shepherd boy, David, kills a big giant, Goliath. Now, normally, our first instinct when we hear this story of David, little shepherd boy, killing Goliath, big giant, is we insert ourselves into the story. And who are we in the story of David and Goliath? David, yep. Unless you're like a crazy person, and then you're like, I'm Goliath, I'm killing everybody. No, you put yourself in as David. And this oftentimes, this is how we teach little kids the story of David and Goliath too, is we say, see, you're like David and you can conquer the Goliath. So go get your stones and hit the Goliath in the head and take on strength and courage. Have you heard me talk about Jesus at all? No, no. And so the story actually becomes about us just mustering up courage to take on the dangerous things in our lives. We don't even think about Jesus. But let's change it for a second. Let's remove ourselves from the story. And we're going to free up all the characters. And we're going to ask ourselves as we look at this story, who is Jesus? Who represents Jesus in this case? So you ready? Let's read it together. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sohuk and Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of El and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He was like seven and a half, eight feet tall. He had a bronze helmet and his head wore, uh, on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze, bronze greaves and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up? Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul, the king of Israel? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all of the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So in the course of the story, a young man who is just a shepherd, his name's David, he has three brothers that are fighting on the front line and his father has sent him to bring food to his brothers. And so he arrives at the campsite, and as he arrives, he hears Goliath, the Philistine, shouting all of these things 
at the Israelite army and the Israelite army running and hiding in fear. And David was so upset by the way that Goliath was speaking about the God of the people of Israel that he went to King Saul and he said, let me go fight the Philistines. And King Saul is like, you're this big and he's this big. You're a shepherd. He's a trained warrior. This is never going to work. And David's like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. And so Saul says, okay, that's fine. And then we're told that David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer and closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Almighty. The Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Oh, so good. We teach this to children, right? This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine uh, army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistines move, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, and he reached into his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sunk deep into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off the head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Ah, that's good. So question in the story, where's Jesus? Who is he in this story? Who represents Jesus? David. Yeah, it's not a trick question. It's David. You're right. He's the one that defeats the giant. He's the one that brings victory not by sword or by spear, but by his spirit in the name of the Lord. He is the one that miraculously conquers the impossible and undefeatable. So if Jesus takes the place of David, then we can look for ourselves. Where are we? Who are we in this story? This one's a little harder. Can you figure it out? We're what? Ooh, we're the Israelites that are terrified of what's happening. We're, we're, we don't even know 
what to do. We're cowering in fear. We don't even know how in the world we could possibly defeat this thing. And then comes Jesus to conquer and disarm our enemies. And then when he does, we are filled with courage to, with a mighty shout, go after the Philistines and finish the thing that Jesus had begun by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That reading of the text is so much more exciting. That one gives us so much more of a picture of who Jesus is and who we are called to be than simply by saying, oh, I'm David and I need to grab some stones and put them in a slingshot and defeat my enemy. Sum up the courage. No, it's Jesus that changes everything. He's the one that doesn't fear and doesn't fret. And because he knows strength comes from the Lord, because he's already conquered the enemy through his death and his resurrection, I can run across the battle lines because Jesus already did the heavy lifting, right? This is what it looks like to read scripture through the lens of trying to figure out where's Jesus? Where is he at? It changes everything and it helps us understand how Jesus has changed everything for us. Now, sometimes changing our perspective and reading scripture in this way is a little bit tricky. It's, it's hard because we've always read scripture through the lens of where am I? And so shifting our perspective can be hard. So I want to give you two resources to help you do this. The first one is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> And if you're like, wait, that's a kid's Bible. I'm like, yes, yes, it is a kid's Bible. And um, here's why I recommend this Bible. Because the way, the reason that this Bible was written was because the, the writer of it was tired of kids' stories just being like wrong <laughs> and, and not being theologically based at all. And so what she did was she took some of the, the biblical stories and she uh, rewrote them and sort of re-illustrated um, them and retold them through the lens of where is Jesus. And it's beautifully illustrated, but even more than that, every story she tells points out, and this is where Jesus is. And this is where he is. So, so whether you have children or not, I recommend this book. There was one time um, where we went on a camping trip, and I don't love camping. Like, it's not my favorite thing. Um, and I was seven months pregnant when we went camping, and had a three-year-old, and what were we doing? So anyways, it was raining, and I was not happy, but I was trying to put on a good face, right? But uh, my oldest daughter, she had brought this book with her, and all she wanted to do was sit by the fire and read this book for the three days that we went camping. And guys, it was an incredible experience because for me, even, I mean, I was already a pastor. I was already getting my master's in theology, but there was something about the retelling of these stories with the lens of Jesus that allowed me to kind of see the grand narrative of what was going on through this very simple lens. And so if you are just starting, this is a great place to start. Now, I am not recommending that you finish here. I am not saying like, this is all you ever need. Don't worry. No, what I'm saying is read this and then read the story in scripture and see if it can help you sort of articulate, okay, where is Jesus? And where's the, the Christology or the theology of Jesus? Where is he in this story? So it can help uh, uh, frame your lens differently and help shift your perspective about seeing Jesus through the entirety of scripture. The other resource that I want to give you is actually called the Bible Project. It's bibleproject.com. 
And what I love about this website is it actually, um, they are the, the people who, it's a theologian and an illustrator and artist who put together this project where basically what they did was they said, we want to create, um, a, a, we want to help people understand the story of the Bible as a grand narrative that all points to Jesus. And so they have a ton of videos in there. There's a video for every book of the Bible that helps you understand and gives you an overview of how this book fits into the grand narrative that points to Jesus. And then they have these other videos that sort of are like um, little mini themes or classes. There's one in there that's actually called um, How to Read the Bible, right? And it's these six-minute short videos that help you understand in these really creative and interesting ways how to read the Bible. How do you read the Old Testament? How do you read the Gospels? How do you understand what's happening in the letters? They're fantastic. And again, don't just watch the video. Instead, the video is an opportunity to help shift your perspective and then go back to scripture and begin to understand a little bit more clearly what's happening and what's going on. The cool thing is, is that they're really made for adults, even though they're animated, but kids love watching them as well. And so if you are raising a child and you're like, hey, it's bedtime and I'm too tired to read a bedtime story, let's watch this one. And it can be really a really helpful tool for you to know uh, and begin to, again, shift your perspective of how to read scripture so that we can learn Jesus. How do we spend time on a weekly basis figuring out who this Jesus is so we can marinate in the truth of who he is? Now, this morning, there's one last thing that I wanna do. Um, I want to get, take a second for us to practice talking about Jesus, okay? And so what I want to do is you have a post-it note on your chair, and there's a little pencil there. You're going to grab that. And what I want you to do on that post-it note is I actually want you to answer the question in your own words, and there's no, like, nobody's going to be, like, reading this or anything, and I'm not looking at it and marking with a red pen, right? This is just practice. I want you to write down on that post-it note how you would answer this question. Why did Jesus come into the world? Why did Jesus come into the world? All right, once you have that done, I want you to take a second and I want you to think about what story of Jesus could you hold on to that reflects why Jesus came into the world for you? So what story of Jesus do you hold on to that sort of illustrates your reason that you believe Jesus came into the world? All right. Now what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you to turn back to your neighbors again. And I just want you to share with them. 
What did you write down? Again, no judgment. We're all at different places in our journey and understanding what it is that this is mean. And Jesus is meaning a different thing to different people at this point in their journey. And, and that's okay. But I just want you to turn to your neighbor and share with them how would you articulate why Jesus came into the world and what is the story that represents that for you or illustrates that for you. Ready? Go. Thirty more seconds. <laughs> All right, we'll bring it back, whole group. My challenge to you is to learn about Jesus. My challenge to you is to take a period during every week to spend a little bit of time, whether your dedicated time is Monday nights at 8 o'clock, or your dedicated time is Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock, or your dedicated time is, is Wednesdays at noon, whatever it is that you would set a period of time aside that you would begin to know Jesus. Now, I know for some of us, this is a little bit like, maybe, maybe you feel like, maybe you have just become a Christian. You've just become a follower, and you're like, this feels impossible. I don't know anything, and I don't even, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can learn this. Or maybe for some of you, you feel like you've been a Christian for a really long time, and you're disappointed with the amount of knowledge that you have, and you're like, I'm just never, I'm never going to learn. Like, I'm never going to do it. And I don't, I guess I want to encourage you because here's the thing, you're in really good company. 
One of the things that I love about reading the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Scripture that tell about Jesus' um, walking the earth, Jesus walking the earth, is I love to pay attention to the disciples who are following him, the people that are supposed to be like the followers of Jesus, the little Christ who are walking around and going to lead this movement, because they're such idiots. Like, they get it wrong all the time. Like, Jesus asks them a question and they say something really stupid. Or Jesus tells them to go do something and they do it wrong. And that's so encouraging to me because I relate to that. I resemble that. And it reminds me that Jesus is not looking for us to be perfect. He's looking for us to be obedient. He's looking for us to continue to pursue him, to learn about who he is and allow him to transform us. And so I just want to invite you into a space where you let go of this sort of value judgment of I know enough or don't know enough or whatever the thing is, but instead you just run towards our Savior, that you just pursue him. And wherever it is on the spectrum of knowing about who Jesus is, that you would hunger and thirst to know him more. It's not too late to begin to learn about Jesus and draw close to him and know him. Now this next song that we're going to sing together is, is a song, it's called More Like Jesus. And, and in the chorus, it says this, that if more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. And I want to invite you that as we come to that chorus to just allow that to be your prayer to allow that to be your space to communicate with God and allow God to speak back to you. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful that this thing doesn't rest all on our shoulders, but instead you are a God who says, I'm with you. I will walk with you. I will be with you. You are a God that draws us close so that not only do you give us an example of, of who it is that you are calling us to be like, but you actually do the transforming work. You live in us, and you breathe in us, and you transform us. And so, Father God, we are here knowing that Christ is the only one that transforms. And so we call out to you that we need more of you. Would you come close to us? We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.